Are you ready? So hang on, let me. No, okay, yeah. So many, so many, so many damn books. Hello and welcome to So Many Damn Books, a blessing, a curse, a podcast. My name is Christopher, and I am joined in the Zoom version of the Damn Library by Kate Slotover from the Book Club Review Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here, Kate. Kate started an editorial but moved into book design and began the Book Club Review Podcast back in 2017. Uh, and they celebrate reading just like this show does, but they also celebrate book club reading, actually reporting on how a book was received by their book club. It's one of my absolutely favorite book club podcasts. Um, it's one that I actually listen to in order, whichever one you guys come out with. I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. This is like my dream person to get to talk books with. I listen to your shows and I, I kind of wish I could be part of that conversation. And now I'm getting to actually have one with you. <laughs> yeah, here you are. I hope I am up to the task of um, making this what you were dream dreaming of. <laughs> well, I was so excited when you contacted me and, and, and we started talking about going on each other's shows because I knew that I, it meant that I was going to get to make a cocktail. And when we started planning, you were like, you sent me a very funny picture of your uh, liquor cabinet. I almost didn't send it. I was so embarrassed. But I was like, I think he needs to know what he's dealing with here. It's very, very helpful because it just meant like, oh, I see gin. I'm going to make this only one liquor and not make overcomplicate this. Um, but because we are having this conversation across the pond, I was thinking of things that just make me think of England. And that to me is a, maybe maybe this is Paddington's fault, but I think marmalade and, and tea so I already had some tea syrup. I love making tea syrups. Um, so easy to make. It's, you just brew tea inside of simple syrup for a few minutes. Usually you just put your tea bags, a couple tea bags in with a cup of water and sugar um, and let it dissolve. And then once it's cool, that's when you can take the tea bag out and you'll have a really nicely flavored syrup. Um, so this is the tea in conversation. It's gin, orange marmalade, tea syrup, and lemon. Very, very simple. How'd you fare? Well, of course, I don't have a cocktail shaker. I barely have any drinks in my house. But I did find one of the children's, you know, kind of like thermal glass things. So uh -huh. I put it in there. We're going to shake it up. Oh, wow. Pour it right on camera. Looks nice. My orange. Cheers. It's, oh, it's different color to yours. Is this your first time trying it as well? What do you think? Um, what do I think? <laughs> It's, I think it's good. <laughs> I, I mean, mm. so here's the thing about making a, a cocktail with uh, marmalade is the first thing you need to do before you start shaking it is breaking up the marmalade and dissolving it with the liquor. Um, it's an important step for mm. this particular cocktail to swirl your marmalade until it's just the sort of you can see the orange rinds and that's it inside the gin um, and then tea syrup really is one of these things where I always put a, an amount when I'm making the um, recipe but you always want to when you're tasting your syrups know you know how strong they are I feel like someone 
you know, Harry Potter in Snape's potion of glass. <laughs> I did my best with this. I, I'm not sure my tea syrup. I followed these instructions that I found on a website called thespruce.com. Oh, yeah, they're great. I found their instructions for making tea syrups. Um, but I was in a bit of a rush because I was also trying to make the children's supper at the same time. So I was like trying to, you know, kind of cook chicken and also make this thing. And it's possible that I didn't let it um, reduce mm. enough because it said to reduce by half. And I don't think I did that. Um, also, I wasn't sure. I used four bags of Yorkshire tea. I'm not sure if that was right or not. Um, See, this is the and thing. And then the marmalade, though, I think I did the marmalade right. This is the thing is. Um... It did because I, I wasn't expecting it to dissolve and it did. British tea is stronger, so mm. I think you... It, well, I was laughing. Uh, I was just noticing that's probably the difference in our color is mine is a little bit more lightly brewed than yours my, Yours probably is. Well, I was laughing because on the spruce it said that you were supposed to drink brew your black tea for four to five minutes. I was like, four to five minutes? It's like 20 seconds is plenty, <laughs> trust me. Well, you know, for a good good tea bag. Anyway, this is delicious. I'm, I'm drinking it really happily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I think I'm just slightly wishing that, you know, you had made this cocktail for yes. me instead of me. Cause I'm kind of like, did I do it right? I'm not sure. I thought it would taste more marmalade than it does. Yes. You could do where you take the tea syrup out and just put in another spoonful of marmalade. So it's just gin, marmalade, and citrus. Um, and I, mm. that might um, change your outcome as well. You know what this is as well for me? This is actually hair of the dog. Do you have that expression? Mm -hmm. Because last night I went out with a friend who's staying and we did something I, I never do in a million years. We had this great night where we went out for dinner and then we went to a cabaret bar and saw some cabaret and drank cocktails. Yeah. I mean, not like loads, but I had one. <laughs> and uh, I'd already had a glass, of, <laughs> a glass of sparkling wine earlier. And that's it for me. That's all it takes to give me a hangover. So this is good. This is really reviving <laughs> this is me, actually. Good. That's that's what I want. That's what the cocktail's for. Ooh. Okay, so now that we're now that we're halfway soused, the next portion of the show is a celebration of consumerism and buying books because buying books is fun. What did you buy? Kate, do you wanna tell me something you bought recently? You're not gonna sing the thing live? I'm disappointed. <laughs> I thought I got a <laughs> No, that's all post-production magic. A live performance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did I buy? The most recent thing that I bought, I bought today, I went to the Tate Gallery with my friend to see this amazing Weaver exhibition that's on there, which she wanted to see. It was very good. And in the shop, uh, it's great, the Tate Modern shop. Um, I always like it. And they have lots of good books. And I've got a book called How to Resist Amazon and Why. Ooh. It says Danny Kane, co-owner of the Raven Bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas, has been an outspoken critic of the seemingly unstoppable Goliath of the bookselling world, Amazon. In this book, he lays out the case for shifting our personal money and civic investment away from global corporate behemoths and to small local independent businesses two reasons I bought this one is I know Amazon are bad I kind of want to know how bad and I feel like this is going to tell me and the other is I have a sort of side project that I've been doing for a while which was supposed to be for an episode of our podcast uh that I'm not actually sure now will ever get made I've become a bit like Corzabon you know in Middlemarch writing his key to all mythologies um I just keep reading books <laughs> without making the show but I'm basically reading books written by booksellers yes. or bookshop owners, 
which I think is a particular niche in the books about books genre. I remember when you were asking for suggestions for this project. That's right. And you gave me a great one. Can we, we can't talk about that yet. We'll come on to that in a second. But yeah, so I bought this one today. And then the last book I bought before this was um, Pod by Laleen Poole, which is her latest novel that has been shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction here in the UK. And I'm currently working my way through that shortlist because we're going to be doing an episode on that. Um, Pod is set in the world of dolphins. Uh, It's about one dolphin who sort of doesn't fit into her pod and she's a part of. And I think she has to go and sort of try and find uh, the dolphins that she does fit in with. In her terrifying propulsive novel, Laleen Poole explores the true meaning of family, survival, sacrifice, the harmony and tragedy of the pod within an ocean that is no longer the sanctuary it once was one which reflects a world all too recognisable to our own. Uh, My podcast partner, Laura, who's supposed to be reading all the book, actually refused to read this because she's like, I'm just not going to do anthropomorphic dolphins. I won't do it. I won't go there. What? But uh, I'm up for it. (laughs) Yeah, I think it sounds great. I'll read anything from an animal's perspective. That is one of my... Will you? You're the opposite to Laura. I... She had a big problem with um, the island of missing trees because it it was all about this talking tree and she couldn't really get past that. <laughs> oh, see, it, see, that to me is like, wait, a, a gorilla is telling me this story? Yes, I'm in it. I, I <laughs> Now I'm more interested. Yeah, I mean, my, my particular favorite is dogs. Dog narrated books is a forever favorite of mine um but i'm gonna absolutely have to get this pod book because from a dolphin's perspective that is really fun well she wrote a previous book um she's written a few but i think her first book that i read that i absolutely loved was called the bees oh that's her and that's set in oh, the beehive. yes 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 same person okay cool that so i love the bees i thought the bees was absolutely brilliant you know it's sort of like this sort of tarantino-esque take on life in a beehive and i loved it and i have recommended it to people since so I'm kind of, I'm up for more, but I did try then her next book, which is called The Ice, something to do with the ice. Maybe it's called The Ice actually. And I tried that and I didn't get on with it. I actually was a bit like, mm, I don't like this. It's not like the bees. It's not for me. So I didn't. So, you know, I'm curious. It's often the way, you know, you read something that you really love. And then I, I, I sometimes do find if I try and read something, something else by the same author, it can kind of like disrupt that. Absolutely. How I felt about the book I love. Yes. So you have to be careful. Yeah, I've definitely learned that it has to be a subject matter match. It can't just be an author match. I I never I, I don't want to ruin that relationship that I had with that author, especially if exactly. I truly loved their book. Actually, I was telling you about Skippy Dies by Paul Murray and The Mark and the Void, the novel that came out after that. I did not I could it was like something barred me from getting past page 30. I could not get on with that book and it <gasps> felt terrible because i so so desperately love skippy dies um i got a couple g- good things in the mail as well that i wanted to show off mm, to you, you i buy? got um i love um comic books i love sequential art uh, graphic novels anything like that um this is benji nate's girl juice which is just four girls hanging out it's got this very web comic feel to it and um they're all the pages are only six panels and sometimes those six panels are continuing a story from the last page but often it's just a new little slice of these four girls lives it's just really really fun and i'm really trying to slow down because um it's just making me laugh 
and it's better if I don't zip through it. Um, and then I got two inappropriate campus relationship novels in the mail on the same day, which I thought was really funny. Mrs. S by Kay Patrick. This one is out from Europa Editions. And it's about a, um, a matron, which I don't know exactly what that means at an all-girls boarding school, but a matron is falling in love with the headmistress's wife. So... She's like the the school nurse. Oh, okay. But but slightly more of an authority figure than than just a nurse would suggest. Okay. You didn't read enough Mallory Towers when you were growing up. I didn't read Mallory any Tower. Mallory Towers, if you can believe. <laughs> so I'm really excited to so there's some sort of um relationship that's going on in the midst of this um all girls boarding school. And then I also got the adult, which is out from Algonquin by Bronwyn Fisher. And this is about um an 18 year old um, new new freshman who starts up a relationship with a mysterious strange stranger. And I just think that it's funny that two campus novels with inappropriate age differences showed up on the same day. Something's in the air. Is that you're being targeted. So you're six years in on your book podcast. How has it changed your reading life? more I have more required reading I suppose now is the way I think of it you know the books that I didn't necessarily choose for myself but I'm reading for book club but I always like that anyway like I've always you know I, I've always I've been in a book club of some sort or another you know for many 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 years before I started doing the podcast and, I, and the reason for that is that I love having a bit of a kick to make me read something that I wouldn't choose for myself I always sort of feel like if I just follow my own impulses the whole time you know, there's a very comfortable sort of rut mm -hmm. that I'm very happily in. And so I love it when someone will say, oh, you'll read this or, you know, gets me out of it a little bit. Increasingly, I have a sense of frustration at just all the books that there are out there mm -hmm. that I'm not going to have time to read. But I think also that comes with getting older. You know, this is one of the things about getting older is that you start to think, oh, you have to start to have a sense of, finitude you know it's not necessary to say I go around thinking I'm going to die next week but <laughs> it's more a sense just of knowing how long people generally live for and how long you know where you are and you're like oh I'm only going to have so many and you know how many books you read a week right so you're like oh <laughs> I'm not going to get through that many you know so it's that I suppose because I'm exposed to lots more and because I have that I'm much more of a sense now of what's out there and almost like all the books that I haven't got time to read but that's why I love the conversation so much, because it's so great, I think, that we can pool our knowledge. You know, no one is ever going to have time to read even the tiniest fraction of all the books that there are out there. So we have to share information. <laughs> you know, it's it's so important. It's like a vital thing. If we didn't all talk to each other about what was good and what wasn't, and, you know. And I also think to, have, to be able to have those conversations slightly outside of what the publishing industry is trying to sell us is 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 really vital like you know you can't afford that there's not time to be distracted by this hyped book that actually isn't that great you know that's just an annoying waste of reading time you know you want to really try and get to those books that are gonna really you know thrill you or change you or or, or you know you'll learn something from them or they'll challenge you but you know those are the books mm -hmm. and it's it's just a bit frustrating and increasingly so I think when I read something now and I read it I'm like yeah I'm not gonna remember this but, you know it didn't really stay with me or you know 
I guess I'm slightly more irritated about that now than I used to be. That makes sense. I mean, especially when you're following how books are released and you're more just, even just keeping a curated Twitter of like what publishers are releasing and, and sort of the book club or book reviews of those things. I, 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 I have a growing sense of dissatisfaction with what is yelled about and yelled out from rooftops. And I increasingly think that I, we need more spaces like podcasts to to be sharing this information, to be the long line of ants telling each other where the sugar is. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. <laughs> I want to be like 57th ant in the line. <laughs> I want to be a part of that line. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I, I want to be there. I can't tell if I want to be, I don't want to be a necessarily a scout ant, but maybe, maybe I do want to be a scout ant and that's why I have a podcast at all. And that actually leads me to ask you, what made you want to start a podcast and how did it get going? Well, Laura, my podcast partner, uh, tells the story much better than me because I have no memories. I'm like a goldfish. Um, but she remembers that we were in book club together. And I often, I remember this actually, I did often used to drop her home because I drive, have a car and I would often run her back. And, uh, and we would carry on talking about the books. Like we would often be sitting there, you know, in the car talking for another like 40 minutes before she get out and go into her house. And um, and we love these conversations and we both worked in book publishing. We both worked at Thames and Hudson. That's where we met. We were a big kind of coffee table art book publisher. And um, and so we had this idea. We're like, oh yeah, it'd be great. We, we should do a book about book clubs. Like book club is, you know, we both love book clubs so much and looking around, it felt like there wasn't really anything out there that we thought was something that we would buy or want to read. And we're like, oh, we can make something, you know. Um, and in fact, that sort of, that initial ambition that got us together to work on something started to just sort of morphed into this idea about, well, how about if we did a podcast? And I was like, yeah, but there's loads of great podcasts out there on books. What are we gonna do that's different? Like, that's a real thing for me. It has to be something that isn't already being done, you know, brilliantly by someone mm -hmm. else. And we came to this book club angle because we just felt like, you know what? We're not hearing this anywhere. We're not hearing this this real conversation and people's real opinions about books, which we love and you know really enjoyed that kind of exchange of views, the debate, the friction of debate, and and being able to say if you didn't like something, and then having a, a, someone else say, but why? You know, I thought this was great. And in that discussion, often as not, the person who didn't like something maybe rethinks it, and the person who did has a whole new range of thoughts about it based on what the other person didn't like, you know, that almost like you, you sort of slightly test out your own opinions when they're challenged by someone like that. So um, we found all that really fun and we just wanted to try and bring that to a podcast. The more I do it, the more I think it's such a hard thing to pull off. <laughs> you feel like you did it more you know? easily when you didn't realize what you were doing? I mean, at the beginning, we were much more focused on the book club angle and we used to talk to lots of different book clubs, which I loved, actually. I kind of miss the, the book club interviews um, where I, I would seek out people who had book clubs and just talk to them about their book clubs. And we met so many interesting people through that. Um, I interviewed this wonderful guy called Andy who runs a horror book club where they only read horror books. And we interviewed him for the show and he was the most sort of brilliant, thoughtful person about horror as a genre and why people read it and, and you know, about how it's really thinking about 
examining, you know, what are the things that scare us? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we afraid of those things? And, and horror books sometimes, you know, sort of, you know, get you to confront that a little bit in a way that was just so interesting. And, um, and then uh, my friend Emily, uh, who runs a walking book club on Hampstead Heath. So every month she gathers people together and they meet at Dawn Books, Marylebone, where Emily used to work. And they would have a book and they go off and they have a big walk around uh, Hampstead Heath, which is a wonderful green space in London. It's like you feel like you're in the countryside when you're there. Um, and uh, and yeah, they, they just kind of stop at regular points and they'll discuss different aspects of the book and they do a circuit and they come back. And there's something about being in the open air and walking and talking about books that's really freeing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I loved meeting her and, and talking to her about all of that. So the, the kind of the pure idea of the book club is something I still love and 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 think about a lot but in a way we we slightly ran out of book clubs to talk to (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I I mean I I should I'm always interested if I if I see something you know someone's doing one or I think oh maybe I could talk to them but yeah um uh it's been a while since I've done like just a pure talking to someone about their book club interview and it's become much more about trying to bring that um mindset to what we're doing on the show to the way we're talking about books on the show so we're trying to have that conversation but we're trying to get to that the friction of good debate which is what we we just find really interesting i love the breadth of guests that you have because often book club a book podcasts it just have authors on but it isn't only authors but you do also have writers on as well is there anyone that sticks out to you that you just love talking to? Generally speaking, the problem with what we're trying to do is that the second you bring an author into the picture, you can't really talk freely about the book. Right. You just can't. So it's always slightly problematic for us. Uh, you know, whenever I do encounter authors, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Like They're so interesting. And obviously they think about reading and writing a lot the, the, the whole time. But I you know I always come back to I, I want to know what the readers think I'm interested in in, in in how books land with readers and and for that in a way the author is sort of the last person you want to you want to hear from or talk to that's for sure <laughs> because it affects it affects your 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 kind of your own pure response to the book that is one of the most beautiful things to me about your show is that you, there are your real uh reactions to the books there you you guys are are unedited um as as far as your uh if you didn't like something you'll say you didn't like it and it's not like malicious or or mean you just talk about why something didn't land for you i can't get away from the fact that i think it it should be okay to be able to say if you didn't like a book (laughs) and and why and, and I'm, I don't know about you, but if I'm talking to someone about books, I am most interested when they say if they didn't like something and why. I love the idea that it's harder, but maybe more vital to explain what you didn't like about a book. And I think that I'm, I'm stuck on it partially because I do like to keep this show uh, to be a positive and celebratory space so i don't you don't necessarily need to talk about the things that didn't work but but i do think that there is truth that that lives in that space 
Um, but it makes me think of like old Beatles reviews uh, when you could you can go and look at how people reacted to you know Revolver when it just came out, and you know they were just a working band. They had no legend. They were just a it was just the third you know whatever fourth album of a great band that people liked and it's just like oh it's not as good as the last one i like the one before that even better you know you're not looking at this oeuvre as though it was this incredible thing instead you get to be there on the ground and see that ends up being the sort of record that's people that turns out to be so vital to understand like how things are are taken in the moment versus how they are um how they grow or or diminish over time this all doesn't come from nowhere for me i have something that is like my model it's like my 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 the way the perfect it's the perfect show i think and it was an australian show and it was on their channel oh their network abc i think it, and it was called the book club it was abc's the book club and i came across this show because the last two seasons that they did they had they streamed on their website and you could you know click on it and um, it wasn't anything as it, it, it it was very clunky. It was some weird interface they used where it wasn't like an obvious way that you downloaded it, but I figured out how to do it and I did do it. And you could watch these episodes. And that show was presented by a woman called Jennifer Byrne. And she had four guests and two of them were regulars. There was a woman called Marie Cardi and there was a guy called Jason Steger. Jason writes for The Age. He's like a literary critic, mm -hmm. reviewer. And Marie Cardi is a kind of, now I think she programs festivals and but sort of literary world person and then they would have the other two spots would be um sort of revolving ones so they would have writers on more often than not but often they would just be someone from sort of the cultural world and they would talk about the books they would do two books every show and they would talk about the books in a way that was so joyously sort of free and unfettered and 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 and, and they weren't inhibited to say i was re-watching an episode the other week because whenever I feel a bit insecure about what I'm trying to do and, oh God, does anyone even want, want this? I, I dip into an old episode to remind myself like, no, this can be done and it can be done really, really <laughs> well. And I was watching them talking about the Stephen King book that they were reviewing. And Marie Cardi said, this book is just so stupid. <laughs> and and it was it makes you laugh because then they had a really good debate about like all the things she thought was stupid and all the reasons that she thought it didn't work. And and I just, I just, I want to be able to say those things. I want it to be okay to be able to say if you thought a book was stupid, like, you know, and why, you know, um, and to have that discussion and that debate. And and that show did it so brilliantly. It, it came to an end after about, I think, 12 seasons or something. It was much loved Australian institution. And they were, everyone I think was very heartbroken when, when the, um, the series came to an end. But I, I think read between the lines, it almost felt like maybe Jennifer Byrne didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. And, and it sort of, you know, kind of, they, I think they felt like maybe the time had come to kind of sure. call it quits. But um, it was such a great show. I urge anyone who wants to watch some really good book club debate to seek it out. You can find it on their website. Um, uh, uh, the, yeah, ABC's The Book Club. I'll find a link and, and put that in the on the website. Show notes on so many damn books com. You'll see a bunch of the things that we have mentioned here. brought me a book which I was so excited and I'd never heard of it before which is strange because I only realized when I started doing the research on the title that I 
completely fell head over heels for her last book. Um, but yeah, you brought me Kick the Latch by Catherine Scanlon. Wait, you had read her before and like forgotten? I did not. Well, I think that the context makes sense. Um, her her <laughs> last book um, was this book called August 9th Fog. And it was a 86-year-old's diary that she found in a charity shop. And she just started finding little bits of it. And she remixed some of those things together and made it the book. Exactly. Um, I looked that up because I, uh, having read Kick the Latch, I was like, I have to know everything that Catherine Scanlon has ever written. So I, I looked that up and I was int intrigued. So I was thinking about the, you know, I, I can think of the project, like it's almost like that it was made by her was like incidental to the other parts of it. Um, the, the method that it came together and the 86 year old whose diary it was. And so she, it just turns out that Catherine Scanlon loves these found stories because Kick the Latch, um, do you want to tell the listeners what it's about? It's set in the horse racing world, and it's the story of Sonia told in her own words. And it's these sort of vignettes, it's very short chapters, each one with a little title that's something from that little episode. I mean, some of them, you know, they're a page or two, they're two or three pages long. Um, can you can you read, Christopher? Because I feel like it needs to be done in an American accent. Can you read the first one? Solid plaster. I was born October 1st, 1962. I was born in Dixon City, Iowa. I was born with a dislocated hip. The doctor said I'd never walk. My mom said, oh no, there's got to be something. So they put me in solid plaster from chest down with just a little spot for my mom to put a diaper. I was in there five months. Then I went to two casts on my legs at the bar in between with these special shoes. Ended up I could walk. I attribute that to Dr. Johnson. My mom always said, well, if it wasn't for Dr. Johnson. I read that and I just thought, oh my God, that's like a whole, I'm not sure if I need to read anything else. Like there's a whole story in that one paragraph, like a whole kind of life. I felt like it could be, it could have been like a George Saunders you know, short story. And I, so from that moment, cause I try whenever I get a book now or I do anything else, I try to just read the first chapter. And I, and I read that and I was like, oh, this is, I love this. This is going to be good. And, and the rest of it did not let me down. Horse racing is the most brutal world. And I had no idea. I mean, actually a couple of weeks ago, there was a, um, a headline about something like six horses died um, in the course of a weekend of racing. And there were people commenting like, oh, that's not so bad. And uh, they were explaining like, that's horse racing, that's the world. But this book sort of even really gets into the, the nitty gritty of why that's not the most insane thing. Because if you think about the 1,000 pounds of weight that is on one horse hoof in the course of a race, that's that's an insane amount of weight and that's an insane amount of uh, pressure that a horse leg has to go under. And the p fact that legs can just snap off during a race, which is I think the word that she used um, during one of them, it just ended up being, you know, I'm gonna have to read this through again because the accumulation of truly horrifying details um, could be overwhelming. 
I've been thinking about this ever since we did Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club for um, for the podcast. And, and that book threw me into such a state of uncertainty because it really made me question what is good? <laughs> like, how do we define good? What is good? Because I would have said the Osman book was, was, was bad. I would have said the writing was not good. It's really clunky. There are all these kinds of problems with it. The characters are paper thin, which is not to say that it doesn't have a lot of charm and a, a good kind of angle and uh, the mechanics of a crime thriller are all there. So there are things about it that are, that are fine. But, uh, but then when I tried to actually pull out a sentence as an example of, you know, this writing not being good, I found it really hard. I couldn't find a sentence where I was like, yeah, that's a terrible sentence. Because actually they're not, none of them are that bad. It's not like you can say, well, that's just an awful sentence. You, you couldn't, you know, unhelpfully, you couldn't actually extract anything in that way to kind of like prove my case. I just had this feeling. I had this such a strong feeling that it wasn't good. <laughs> but then, you know, the inverse of that is that, well, what am I saying is good? If I feel like I know when something isn't good, what is good? And and this book is amazing. It's completely amazing. But why? Why is it so good? There's something about the sense of the the voice and the person that comes through it, I think, that she captures. And, and there's something about almost this individual that you get to know. And you feel like no one else could have told the story in the same way. Do you know, there's something so specific about it, perhaps, that's that's one of the reasons it's so brilliant. I don't know. Why do you think it's good? I think that at the base of this book is so much is is all the stuff that you wrap around it with your own mind while you read it. Um, it it's something that happens with particular types of books sometimes where your mind populates the world and it's not just that the, and it's because the sentences not only leave you space, but inspire you to fill out the rest. So even though that, and I think that that's because like Sonia to her, these details are just life. And so you feel this sort of sense that, yeah, that horse's leg broke, but that is just one of a 150 times that that's happened that she's seen. And we're, we're seeing the one time she's mentioning it, but the way that it's tossed off suddenly gives you all of this, like, oh, she's seen that hundreds of times before. That's something that annoyed her in that moment, but she knows it's part of the reality. Like, there's all of this context that you put on it um, that the book has inspired you to figure out the rest of. And so because it's like this act of co-creation, um, I think that that's why it ends up being so lush, even though it is like barely 120 pages and... There's nothing Some of it. those pages are like three lines and then like that was it. Um, so it's all in here. It's all it? I think that so I think that that that's what and I think that that is why I, this is good. But I, for me, but I don't know how I would ever be able to like apply that thinking to a different book. Um, mm. I guess. Similarly. The. But in a different way, My Struggle by Karl of Knazgaard did a similar thing for me where he was being so specific about his memories um, of, of teenagerhood and going and really telling the story. 
and probably filling in detail because he called them novels, not memoirs, that it made me think about like teenage years and like, so you're co-remembering alongside. So you didn't just finish the book and only have his life. You've also like remembered and had your own memoir going on of your own life while you read it. And so like, I think that some books really have that power. Um, and that's why, you know, not only do you find that they're amazing, but they're for the people that didn't, it didn't work for, it absolutely didn't work because they didn't get inspired to, to co-create the way that, you know, you might've. I like that idea. That is, it's good. That's a helpful, that is a helpful idea. I love, um, I was talking about this. I met, uh, I went on a walk with some parent friends the other week and I met a writer there um, and his wife, who's also a writer. And so um, it was really, we, we were sort of walking along and, 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 and talking about books and this subject of, of what is good came up and he teaches. So he's sort of always thinking about, about you know, trying to, yeah, he, he thinks about it a lot. And, uh, and, and he, he gave me this great quote that I love. He said, uh, I think about Virginia Woolf's comment about Jane Austen being a great writer who is difficult to catch in the act of greatness. Mm. And it's like, how do you pin it down? How do you define it? But you know it, right? You know it when you come across it. You're not confused about it. It's like, oh, yeah, this is really good. <laughs> but why? <laughs> anyway, maybe, you know, why is not a helpful question. Like, we don't need to know why. It's just good. I think the thing that really sealed it for me, I talked to my my kid book club, kids book club about um, the endings. Mm. And I was saying, it's one of the things of great joy is that I get to just sort of give my opinions about stuff, which probably you're not supposed to do, but <laughs> who can resist? And I was like, you know, books, the thing is that, but for me, so often the thing that changes a good book into a great book will be how the author handles the ending. Mm. And I, when I finished this book and I read her little author note and I read that it was a work of fiction, based on these conversations she'd had with this real life individual, but nonetheless a work of fiction. Oh, I love this so much. Like that tipped it for me. It wasn't just a transcript. Mm -hmm. You know, she, it's, she made stuff up and to make it better or, you know, to make it her own. And, and I love that about it. Yes. Yeah. The, that bit, it's like the sort of editing and remixing for August 9th fog that little extra, like, I'm going to make this into something. It's not just done now. I didn't just type what that person said, and now it's mm. over. It's much more nuanced. I assume, I mean, she could be having us. Well, and, and having read something else by her and kind of having encountered something else that she'd done, it, it does seem like this is her thing, isn't it? It's to take these fragments, to take these details and, and, and weave them into something. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I loved... August 9th fog, but I think kick the latch is even further along in this like totally unreal um, thing where it's just specific detail that gives you everything you need to know about somebody. And you don't need more than 120 pages to feel like you fully went on this whole life with them. No, like that first paragraph, yeah. you know, the opening chapter, you know, she could have ended it there. I would have thought it was good. <laughs> there's other characters too like um there's one there's a character at the beginning who i'm absolutely still thinking about bicycle jenny with her hundreds mm. of chihuahuas um mm. that it's just like that was just, who lived in a pit yeah who lived in a pit in with a, a open bathtub 
who is this person? But I, I know a little bit about her. Bicycle Jenny will now forever be a part of my uh, mindset. And and it was just, I don't know, four pages of, of this book. Mm. Um, and mm. it's not even the point. She just took a little bit of time to to put that in there. I think that that's also pretty pretty awesome. I had picked this up and looked at it a couple of times and sort of thought, oh, you know, I don't really know about horse racing, you know, put it down again. So I was so happy to have the nudge to read it because, um, yeah, I'm so happy that I did. And it does seem like it's almost like a, a slight cult that people who've read it and know, mm. they know. Yeah. So you, when you recommended it to me, was it just on your stack? Like, I want to get to one of these. Yeah, I slightly misunderstood the, the what, what, cause, you know, when we were thinking about like what to yes. do to read a book, I was like, oh, we'll read a book together. And I had sort of slightly forgotten the whole recommendation <laughs> part because afterwards we'd agreed that we would read Click the Latch. And then I sort of been listening to shows. I was like, oh, yeah, it was a recommendation. Like, I realized I could have got you to read a book that I really loved, um, you know, and I missed the chance. But um, hey, luckily, Kick the Latch turned out to be a book that I oh. really love. So I did get you to read a book that I really love. I was not expecting how much it totally... I read it in a single sitting, and I am, I'm mm. going to probably do it again down the line, just because I, I, I can't actually imagine that that is the best way to read this book. It, I think it's probably better um, read quite slowly. I wonder what the audio like is like as well. I haven't looked, but... I haven't looked either. Because like I said... It, it almost felt to me like, like an hour long. It needed the accent. You get such a strong sense of her voice, and it has this kind of where she's from, Kentucky or somewhere. Or am I just projecting that? Because that's where that's where horses the horse world is <laughs> exactly in America. Have you ridden a but, horse? Um, do you like horses yourself? Oh no, I'm very horsey. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up on a farm. I, I we had a pony, um, and also I also um, are you aware of the author Dick Francis? Of course, yes. Well, there you go. Oh, that's good. So, you know, my dad was a great Dick Francis reader. So um, Dick Francis is one of the few writers where I could say I've read every single book he's ever written. And a lot of them I've read several times because yeah. they were just the books that were around when I was growing up. My mom was the Dick Francis reader. And that was a real, um, that was an every year sort of Christmas gift for me for, yeah. was the, whatever Dick Francis had done, that would be under the tree. Well, do, you know, do you know what I love about Dick Francis was that he... His wife was quite involved, I think, with his books. Mm. I think she helped him a lot. He acknowledged that. And she when she died, the ones that he wrote after that were never as good. Huh. And I just thought that was really interesting. Because, you know, if you read enough, you know an author's entire work, and then they start writing. You know, And it was there was this shift. And obviously, he had got older. And I think that, that also affects things sometimes. But, um, yeah, they were never quite as good. Uh, or they weren't the same. And then I read something where he was talking about her and, and what an important sort of sounding board that she'd been for him and how much she'd been involved in, in the books. And uh, and I sort of loved that, that they had this, it was a sort of, you know, partnership. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, put it on the list of these un unsung um, female heroes yeah. that are, make, you know, like a George Lucas's wife who edited Star <laughs> Wars and made it like amazing. <laughs> I still think of um, Dead Heat by Dick Francis as um, a great novel. Uh, it's it's one where it's not just about horse racing, it's about a catering chef to the horse racing world. So they get, because he obviously started off writing about like jockeys and you know, because he was a jockey, mm -hmm. we should say. Um, he wrote for the queen famously. He was, um, you know, he was a very successful jockey. Uh, but then, you know, you age out of that and, uh, and then he turned to writing and it just turned out he was completely amazing at it. He is such a good writer. 
And uh, and then he wrote, he churned out just novel after novel after novel, but they were all set in the horse racing world. But, uh, you know, uh, over time, he was obviously kind of having to reach around for like the way that his characters could be connected to the horse racing world. And after a while, there's one I love, um, can't what it's called, but um, it, the, it's about um, the guy who manages a, a lorry firm who transport the horses <laughs> to and from the races. It's one of my favorites. It's really good. Yeah, sure. There are horses to be looking at, but why not look at the lorry driver? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in planning this episode, we didn't just, I didn't just take a recommendation from you. I also recommended a book for you to read. Uh, and it's one of my favorites, uh, Christopher Morley's Parnassus on Wheels. How did you find it? I just love this book that you recommended to me so much. I wanted to talk about it. Um, so it's called Parnassus on Wheels. I had never heard of it. I knew nothing about it. Um, I got it. It's published here in the UK. I think it's like Dover editions. Yeah, it's it's long. It's it's it, it, quite it's a bit old. Like a, yeah, but it's like a sort of weird print on demand issue. You know, edition that it, it's a bit strange. Um, and I just think that's because no one knows how great it is. No one knows. <laughs> Do people in America know how good this book is? I don't think so. Well, this I discovered this book um, through this. Um, there's a independent press called Melville House, and they have a wonderful. Um, subscription service to their novella series and what they do is they find public domain books and reissue them and so you know this book Parnassus on Wheels came out in 1917 and so copyright has long passed and so they could print this for free and I think that that is um and I don't I would never have found it if I hadn't been subscribed to their novella subscription services sent you two a month and it's um it's it's one of these things where i didn't realize how fantastic it was going to be when the when i opened it because i was I was just a subscriber to a service it is such a total gem and i i was so happy to have read it um i mean is it just i don't know whether it's because it fits into so many things that i've been thinking about a lot recently and and it just slotted in so nicely to that so that I felt like it was kind of talking to me. <laughs> but um, it tells the story of a um, a woman who is living on a farm and she uh, lives with her brother. So he's a farmer. He's very busy running the farm, which takes up a lot of time. When is it set? Like early 19... Early 1900s. I mean, that's... Yeah. Pretty, yeah. yeah, early, but pre-war, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and he's busy, you know, kind of farming and she's doing all the domestic chores. You know, she's running the house. She's baking these incredible meals. She's looking after the chickens. She's washing the windows. You know, she's just busy all the time doing all this stuff. And he um, has a sideline, a sort of unexpected sideline in writing. He has decided one day to sort of sit down and try and write something about, um, you know, his, his experience of the country life. And this really took off. People really responded to his, um, you know, kind of, yeah, writing about these sort of countryside things, um, it, whatever, you know, it, it, these books were a hit. And so he increasingly has become a bit of a writer and he's going off around the county sort of talking to people about this book and 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 and, and she finds it a bit frustrating because, um, you know, she thinks he should be home sorting out the farming, right? Yeah. And also it's just, it's, it's your brother who got all of this fame for doing, I just gonna be an, just the sibling like, ugh. 
Yeah. <laughs> what so, an idiot. <laughs> so she's stuck at home. And one day this 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 wagon appears on the edge of the property. And this very chatty man um, pops out of it and asks for her brother uh, because he wants to sell him the wagon, which is called Parnassus, uh, which is a book wagon. It's full of books. And what he does is he's a sort of traveling salesman. He travels around in the wagon and he sells his books wherever he ends up to whoever he meets. And um, and in the wagon, it's all set up. There's like you could it's basically like a little camping sort of set up. He's got a little stove and there's a bed and, and it's all set up for that. And because she doesn't want her brother to come home, because she knows that the second he sees it, he will immediately want to buy it and go off in it himself. She decides that she is going to buy it. And so uh, she persuades the man to sell it to her instead, which he's not quite sure about doing. He worries that perhaps he's sort of taking advantage of her in some way, but she manages to convince him. And so they agree that she will buy it. And then he takes her off uh, to sort of ease her into the whole, you know, itinerant book selling life. They go off together so that he can show her the ropes. And then the idea is that they're going to part company once she's got the hang of it. And so they set up on their adventure. I mean, how to convey the kind of total charm of this story. It is so delightful because it's very funny. It's very sort of tongue in cheek in a way. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 you know, it's full of kind of all these sideways digs and asides, but also it has this warmth and heart and charm and, and shot through the whole of it is just this love for books and getting books into people's hands and, and opening people's eyes to the joy of books. And this character, Mifflin, his name is, that's his sort of special talent. That's his thing that really brings him to life. Um, and gradually you see, is her name Helen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, gradually you see Helen. She's sort of, she's never met anyone quite like him before. And she sort of falls under his spell a little bit. And then she has a go at doing it herself. And she finds she rather likes it. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this whole setup. But this, what is it like a, someone really kind of finding something, finding out something about themselves. Yes. And it's full of all these brilliant little passages about just how wonderful books are really um and reading uh, it was a joy i absolutely loved it it's it's such i'm so glad you did it because i mean it's sort of funny because it's it's like a van life inf- influencer novel like who knew <laughs> um and it's like also slightly like a sort of a girl boss novel of just like um helen knows better than all the men and she's also like constantly thinking like how stupid um their actions are versus like what she would be doing and i i just love so much about how he um put her together because she's such a such a fantastic character that you just love like i it's she really is one of those ones where when the when the pages are done you're sort of uh disappointed that that's it you don't want to leave them yeah exactly you don't want to leave her in the world luckily there is a direct sequel. The Haunted Bookshop. Yes. It's in my edition. It, it stays amazing. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I haven't finished The Haunted Bookshop. I'm enjoying it hugely. I think I feel like it's not quite as good because you know the thing about Parnassus that makes Parnassus so good is the will they won't they. There's a little bit of a romance angle mm-hmm. there, which when I first got a hint of that, I was like, oh, oh, is that what this is going to be? Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> like that was. And that was so pleasing. It was just really great. And I feel like in the haunted bookshop, you know, it's it's all much more um, settled down. 
there's not such a um a, a plot hook that i've come across yet anyway right yeah it's a it's a little more vibey but but I still like But what that. a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> but just hanging out in a fun novel. I mean, and the other thing that is great to me is like all of the titles are still in our vernacular. Somehow the 1917, 1919, like he's still talking about little women. He's still talking about like Robert Louis Stevenson. Like there are these, all the, these like bookish references. They're basically people that we still talk about, which I think is kind of um, not something that I'd expect. He said, she said, um, she said, well, I said to the professor, to myself, I mean, let's see. So she's imagining this conversation with Nifflin, who's not there. What is a good book? I don't mean books like Henry James's He's Andrew's Great Idol. It always seemed to me that he had a kind of rush of words to the head and never stopped to sort them out properly. A good book ought to have something simple about it. And like Eve, it ought to come from somewhere near the third rib. There ought to be a heart beating in it. A story that's all forehead doesn't amount to much. Anyway, it'll never get over at a Dorcas meeting. That was the trouble with Henry James. Andrew talked so much about him that I took one of his books to read aloud at our sewing circle, circle over at Redfield. Well, after one try, we had to fall back on Pollyanna. <laughs> I just love it so much. So great. So great. And then Christopher Morley's a fascinating dude. He wrote over a hundred novels. Did he? Um, Whoa. <laughs> He was a huge, he uh, was one of the founding members of the Baker Street Irregulars, which is a Sherlock Holmes uh, society and wrote a bunch of um, forwards to, to Sherlock Holmes collections. But his uh, innovation was to treat Sherlock Holmes as though he were a real person. So he was trying to find like, where was he beekeeping as he retired and where was certain where did certain things happen um treating him as though he were real in fact there's still a group of people who call who believe that sherlock holmes is real and they are the sherlockians the fact that he was part of that whole world is is fascinating to me i just bought another novel of his um i've only read these two but mm -hmm. there's one that i just bought on name alone called swiss family manhattan <laughs> yes <laughs> And I guess that he liked great. to do this where he would have like people show up in a, like people from a, a different area show up and, and be the interlocutors, you know, sort of the fish out of water. So this is a Swiss family crash landing their dirigible into the Empire State Building, which I think is just a funny looking tree. Um, and I'm very, very excited for this book to arrive. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm wanting to read more Christopher Morley because he seems like a delightful guy. And did you like all the stuff about Brooklyn? Oh yeah. He's uh, he's a big fan of Brooklyn. Um, he says, of course it's a dingy place really, but to me it symbolizes a state of mind, whereas New York is only a state of pocket. <laughs> it's just full of all these great, great lines. So good. Yeah, so good. So I'm so glad you liked my rec recommendation. I loved, loved yours, um, even though it was more of a <laughs> joint discovery. <laughs> a joint discovery. So glad. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to recommend to the listeners? Well, you probably know about this already, everyone in America. But um, <laughs> it's this documentary about um, Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb. It's called Turn Every Page. Have you seen it? Mm -mm. <gasps> oh, it's so good so good 
I am very, yeah, obsessed with this film. It was so great. So Robert Caro um, famously wrote all of these epic, uh, he wrote this book about Robert Moses, The Power Broker, huge mm-hmm. doorstep of the book. Did really well. Did it win the Pulitzer? I feel like maybe it did. Um, and then he went on to write these books about Lyndon Johnson, and he is still now, he's in his late 80s, I think, and he is still working on Volume 5. And and you might maybe have heard a bit about this. You might have heard that a lot of people are very kind of interested in whether or not he's going to be th- finished them. And you might think to yourself, well, why should I care? And what I love about Turn Every Page, the documentary, is it 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 totally explains to you why you should care, why you should run to, to get these books and read them immediately. Don't waste any time. Um he and 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 it's uh, about the relationship between Caro and his editor, his lifelong editor, mm. Robert Gottlieb, who was editor-in-chief at Knopf, I think, for many years. And then he edited The New Yorker for a while. And then I think he went back to Knopf. And um, and he's still going strong. He's now in his uh, 90s. I think he's 93. Still editing away. Specifically, still editing uh, Robert Carey's books. And, um, and it's about that relationship between them. This very um, push-pull dynamic that they have. Um, I feel like what you really get an insight into is how each of them makes the others work but the others work better i think mm. you get a sense of that and 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 it's made the documentary is made by um bob gottlieb's daughter and so it has this wonderful sort of it's suffused with love and sort of just celebration of these two amazing men who obviously have been such important figures in her life and so you get that as well you just get this wonderful sort of sense of um this relationship that they have that you get to see and i think you're you you get to witness because of her access because of the way that she is able to to show it to you in a way that i think no one else could have it's just oh my goodness it's my favorite thing i've watched for the longest time i watched it and it made me so happy and um i think it's inspiring it's mm. inspiring about you know what you can do with your time on this earth you know how someone chooses to spend a life and he chose to spend his writing these these books. And Bob Gottlieb, you know, is a reader like no other. Mm. And uh, and I love that as well. I love getting a little bit of insight into him and how his mind works. It's great. It's so great. That sounds wonderful. I, I am really looking forward to checking it out. Okay, but don't just say you'll watch it. You have to actually watch it. <laughs> okay. Just promise me. I promise you, you will love it. <laughs> I will. I, I, I promise you. And I'll let you know what I think. Okay, good. I'm going to recommend one more thing to the listeners, and that is to do what I did and go and find a good starting point for yourself in the book club review podcast. Go find one of a book that you have have your own opinion on already and hear what the book clubs thought of it or... You know, there's a lot of ways, and there's over 140 episodes um, to go into. So that is my recommendation, is to go check out your massive archive and and see what the book clubs think of the books. It's such a great format for a show, and I am so glad that you could come and hang out on my formatted show. And listeners to this show should know that... 
there's an episode of the show that I'm on that you can go check out right now. When you go to iTunes, as you always do, and start reviewing podcasts, because everybody always does that. It's been, um, people spend so much time on iTunes reviewing podcasts. <laughs> They've got nothing else they want to do with their time. <laughs> uh, go and review first so many damn books and give that five stars, and then go to Book Club Review Podcast and go give that five stars, because, you know, it's, it's one of the ways, for some reason, it drives discovery. I don't understand how, but it does. Um, and the other thing that you should absolutely do is go and support the patreon.com slash smdb. This episode will be on there without any ads. All the all the adless episodes are there as well as we've got a book club, the book club that I'm running um, going. And I'd love for you guys to get in on the ground floor and, and read uh, Chain Gang All-Stars with us. So come join the Patreon where we're having all that fun. Uh, Kate, thank you for hanging out. This has been an absolute blast. It's been such a joy. Thanks for having me. Thank you.